Well, welcome back to the Men Podcast. Hanging out here in Loreto, Mexico, Steve and I, and uh, wrapping up a short week of fishing down here in Baja. Steve, how was it? It was a pretty good week. I think that the experience this week, what we finished on, you always like to say if you're going to finish it strong or start strong, we'd always take a strong finish. <laughs> that was definitely the case on this trip. Yeah, those first three days were uh, fun, but not ideal fishing. No, less than ideal fishing, but that's fishing. Without those tough days, you don't appreciate the good days that you have. So now we're here basking in, well, we're basking in the shade. It, we're in the shade is right because it is dead, calm, and glassy. We're sitting up on the balcony above the pool, overlooking the rock jetty that we've been going in and out of for the last four days in the fishing boats, looking out on the open Sea of Cortez, and it is dead, glassy, calm out here. And we know that it would be great fishing because the fish showed up yesterday, and it was still a little bit rough in terms of the sea. But we got into the fish yesterday, I'm telling you, it was fun. <laughs> today's fishing would be, if it was anything like yesterday, it would be epic. But today is go-home day. We're going to fly here in an hour and a half or so. So we're kind of soaking up the last little bit of this fishing trip. Yeah, we're soaking up the last little bit of the fishing trip. And I think that, you know, you can always gauge how a trip went based on everyone's attitude on go-home day. And if anything, the only negative I would say is people just aren't ready to go home right now. Yeah, they're there's dreading the back to reality part of it. They're dreading. Yeah, this trip was kind of fun. This is our third time to to fish the the Baja area, Sea of Cortez, uh, and I got to admit, I was getting a little pouty there partway through day three because that fishing it was pretty tough. I mean, yeah. we've seen it from good to bad, and, and now the only pouting going on is. One, we don't get to fish another day, and we got to go home. That's for sure. And the thing about it is, I mean, we've all fished enough to know it. You're going to have great days of fishing. You're going to have tough days of fishing. And if you fish enough, it that's just the way it is. That's life. And, you know, down here, I mean, that's the neat thing about this trip and a lot of saltwater trips for that, that matter is there's a lot of other neat things to do out there besides just fish. It's not just about the fish catching. I mean, we saw everyday dolphins, we saw humpback whales, we saw sea lions, we saw turtles. Loggerhead turtles. Loggerhead turtles. And, I mean, it's just a cool experience to be out on the water. Something cool is going to happen every day, whether it's fishing-related or not. Yeah, so we... How's your drink? Good? My drink is good. I'm, I've got it in my Yeti tumbler. Yeah. And Which, those Yeti tumblers, the Yeti Colsters and tumblers we brought down on this and pretty much everyone has them those are now becoming standard travel gear sunglasses hat yeti cup coffee cups you pour your coffee in it in the morning and you mix your ice and margarita in it in the afternoon and it stays hot all morning it stays ice until you know two hours when you get back in i mean they're incredible side of a seasoned traveler right there yeti cup with a red fly shop sticker on the side here don't think the guides down here haven't taken note of all the yeti gear too the guides down here that's the one thing you know usually they're wanting your reel or your rod or something like that they're they were wanting our colsters this trip yeah they want those yeti cups well so let's talk so a little bit so our first time down here this trip that we're doing uh is a perfect mix because we this is one trip where our wives get to come and 
I can't speak for everybody out there, but my wife and I, your wife too, I mean, they like fishing, but they don't love fishing. They're not going to travel someplace and do a week straight of fishing. No doubt about it. I mean, they don't want to be fishing. They don't want to be secluded somewhere where it's even not if they were fishing every day, but even just being secluded at a place that's only a fishing lodge yeah. where, you know, you're there with a group and you kind of are there and there's no opportunity to break away if you feel like you need some quiet time or, or just want to go do something independently. Yeah, so we started doing this trip. This is our third time, and we did this because we're like, man, what a cool place where we can take our wives. We get to go fish our brains out and leave at 6 in the morning. So boats are out at 6. We get back about 2. By that time, the gals have been, you know, had their pool time. They walked up to town, bought some earrings or whatever they're going to do. Yeah, there's great spa service at this hotel. I mean, super nice hotel that we stay at here. Girls went on a guided hike one day. They went snorkeling one day, did some shopping, massage. They came out on the fishing boat with us one day. I mean, just a, a unlimited amount of different opportunities, recreation opportunities that the, the ones who want to wake up and do something every day can do. Yeah, and and then the ones who don't want to do that, whether they get tired or just want to sleep in and relax, they stay in the room, have coffee, read a book, go get their massage, and come back. And I mean, that's the one thing about it. Yeah, they come back from fishing during the day, and our wives are are happy. They're content. They're having a good time. Yep, they're glad to see us, but they're certainly anything but upset that we left them there for the day and went fishing oh yeah yeah there's stuff to do and and like yesterday today if we were heading out this morning and we knew it was gonna be calm kelly would have been all over the fishing thing so natalie yep no doubt about it and so like here that you get to be pretty selective you know the way we run our couples fishing is we put two couples in a boat so it's four people which is super social it's super fun there's definitely not a shortage of opportunity or action, and it's not cramped. The boats are built for four people. Yeah, these 26-foot pangas that they run here are really well set up to, to accommodate you know, what we're doing here. They're great. So this year it was a little bit, you know, we didn't have any, any super hardcore chicky fishermen here this year. Uh, so the gals didn't fish every day, but they were selective about the days they did fish. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, and the they can day, go if... Yeah, if it looks good, like, they can go, but if they don't really want to go, it doesn't after, matter because the boat number is the same. After the day, yeah, we weren't having great fishing the first few days of the trip. And, you know, the big day that we do on that, I mean, we packed the margarita bar and we cut fishing short at noon on the day that our wives came out with us and pulled in on a private beach. They had cocktails. They swam. I mean, beautiful blue Caribbean water. Yep. As turquoise blue as it gets with spectacular mountains in the backdrop. I mean, it, I think everyone had a great time on that. So we fished till noon that day, which, again, was pretty tough fishing that day, too. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, yeah, if we would have had the fishing that we had yesterday, and yesterday, just to put this into perspective now, for whatever reason, conditions became right and the Dorado showed up. It was we'll incredible. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But if, if we would have had that day yesterday... And this was the day that, you know, wives could come out with us, which they can any day that they want down here. There's no limit as to number of days they can go out. But I bet most of them would have come out today. Smooth, yeah, calm water and, and probably good fishing out there. Yesterday was so good. Like, I'm in the like, total, not, not like 
alcohol hangover. I'm in like Dorado hangover right now. I mean, my abs hurt this morning. I was like, why are yep. why does my stomach hurt? That's from putting the butt of your rod against your dude cage. Yeah, dude, that's from fighting fish wedge. yesterday. Like my yep. abs are so leverage them in. That's what it is. Yesterday's fishing was so good. This that was the kind of fishing you would kick your flight back. Like you would just miss your flight, and you would kick your flight back two days to get the Dorado bite that's going on like right now as we speak. Unfortunately, we just put a beat down on those things yesterday. Yeah. So we're we're pretty well content. I don't need to catch every fish in the ocean. I wouldn't mind going and getting a couple more. But uh, <laughs> if they were rolling out there right now, I'd be out there with the fly rod. Yeah. So. Let's talk a little bit about uh, gear. Let's get technical. So let's talk about what we've learned uh, over time about the different species here and how a guy might try to set himself up for success with both gear and some knowledge. Uh, so let's just talk species. What you know, We're in Loretto. It's the third week of June, which is a good time for Dorado. It's kind of the early part of the season. July is probably... Did you say peak season, Steve? Yeah, July. It sounds like July is probably peak season for Dorado, but the run usually starts showing up in the middle of June Mm -hmm. is when the the first fish, which are usually smaller, start to show up. And the thing about it, though, is you get into the month of July and temps are just so hot down here that, you know, trying to do anything in the afternoon, walk around town or, or whatever, can get pretty difficult. So the pool needs to be, you know, a very important part of the fishing program no matter when you come. <laughs> yeah, the swimming pool's a hot spot. So late June is when, when we do our trip. It doesn't mean it's the necessarily the best time, but Dorado's our, tar- our number one target species. Uh, we've had shots at rooster fish. We've caught some rooster fish on gear when we've been trolling uh, essentially te- teasers uh, behind the boat trying to get shots. So rooster fish is a possibility, but they definitely take a backseat to the Dorado. Just We've seen rooster fish this week. We've seen Bonita this week, although yesterday, I mean, there, there were, for the first day yesterday, like I said, conditions changed. First few days this week, it was much colder water and pretty rough seas. I mean, yeah. we had some wind to deal with. So there was a system moving through. I think it got through yesterday. It calmed down. I mean, you could just see there wasn't any marine layer yesterday. The mountains were clear as a bell yesterday. Mm-hmm. So call it whatever you want, barometric pressure or whatever. But the fish, if they were here and deep, they came up yesterday. And all of them seemed to show up because we saw some schools of Bonita blowing up yesterday too. Yeah. Which we didn't even mess with because we were heading for Dorado. Yeah, so our species have really become like Dorado is the number one thing we want to target because they're so aggressive they're so pretty they eat a fly they jump i mean some of them will jump 10 times in a given fight uh bonita are probably like as far as what we've been success and and seeing our customers who come with us also enjoy those schools of bonita are just those things are they're rad. spectacular yep they i mean it's i'm always impressed about you know you don't think that there's a lot of current out in the sea of cortez when we're out there i mean especially on a glass calm day like this you just don't feel like there's much current out there and you're just so impressed by how strong these fish are oh my gosh i mean even a little dorado or a little bonita you're into your backing and if those fish decide they're going deep on you i mean that's why your rib cage is sore today is because you are having to to wedge though i mean you're leveraging those things up from 200 feet straight oh yeah yeah because your your fly line's 100 
yep. they at least go another hundred feet in your back and see they're down a couple hundred feet. Yeah, and then you just gotta you know the and well the bonita the bite like bonita aren't going to be a species where you go look and see them glamorized like a roosterfish or a dorado or a trevally or a ja- even jack Raval. but those bonita the way they bite like we brought a lot of customers on this trip and you get into those schools of bonita and you start yeah. you start stripping a, a, a bait fish pattern across that school of bonita and the schooling and then the assault and attack that takes place on that fly, dude, it is intense. It's intense. And, I mean, the thing about it is, so we fish a lot of sardine. It's bait fish patterns is what we're fishing down here. You know, this isn't a, a Ascension Bay flats fishing trip where you need a bunch of bonefish flies or, or crab patterns or any of that. You need bait fish patterns here. That's, I mean, this Sea of Cortez, it's 1,800 feet deep in some spots out there is what the guide was telling me. These are attack species. It, they're, they're predators. Yeah, they have, they, you know, every fish has got to do one of two things. It's either got to, it's got to outswim its predator. Yep. And it's got to outswim its prey, dude. Everything is fast. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. very exciting. It, it is exciting. And so, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you talk about gear on this. We... Three years ago, we came down here and we probably had four eight-weight rods, two 10-weights, and one 12-weight. And our quiver has changed a lot since Flipped that upside down. Trip. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I threw a 12-weight all week this week. And, yep. and even catching what I would call small Dorado yesterday, I was glad to be throwing that 12-weight. I mean, once they go deep on you like that and you have to start cranking them up and putting some heat on them and and you know getting them turned especially <laughs> what people don't realize is there's a couple things that happen why you may need to turn a fish out there in the middle of the ocean you don't think oh he's going to you know a, under a log that i need to turn him what happens though is we had three guys in our boat yesterday there were a lot of times where all three of us had fish on many times mm-hmm. and and that fish, they're going to cross lines, and you need to put the wood to them and make sure they don't do that. And then the other thing is, is the motor on the boat, you got to keep them out of that thing. And that's a constant presence that, you know, once those fish get close to the boat, they're looking for shade. So they're going to dive under, try and dive under the motor on you a lot or under the boat. And, you know, you got to keep them from crossing lines. you got to keep them from getting under the motor. And... I was glad that I had a 12-weight because the other two guys in the boat were talking about their ribs hurting this morning, too. Yeah, yeah. So I fished a... So let's go strictly to... Well, let's summarize here. So just for anybody who's considering planning a trip down here, you can use Reds to help plan your trip. We're happy to give you some referrals, some information. We'd love to sell you some... Fly selections. There definitely are some fly patterns that work much better than others out there yesterday. Yeah. So whether we want to help you plan the trip, whether it's buying gear, we'd love to sell you some gear, uh, you know, refer you to outfitters, place to stay, that kind of stuff. Um, or maybe you got another vacation planned on the Sea of Cortez, you want some advice. Uh, but we'd love to help you out in any way we can. Um, but regarding gear, go, gear as far as rod selection goes, we'll stay and try not to chase too many squirrels here at this point. Uh, we're going to be using these rods to target Dorado number one. Uh, probably bonita is a more frequent species. Roosterfish definitely getting a priority if the opportunity pops up. We have we have seen roosterfish. We've gotten shots at roosterfish. We have seen Steve it was uh, you got to land that you gripped that seventy pounder last 70 year. Seventy pounder, yeah, I fought that thing. That was on conventional gear. Yeah, and we were trolling a big eye. It's the name of the fish, about a twelve inch 
bait pattern. Yeah. Live twelve inch fish, yeah. Nice trout by some some Western stream standards. It was a nice trout side fish. <laughs> and the intent was as soon as the rooster fish would show up behind it, which rooster fish in that particular area, we'd been fishing it three days and there were three or four big singles cruising around in there that we saw every day and threw flies at them every day. Didn't get them to eat the fly and on the fourth day the guide said, we're going to get them today. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what are we doing? And he showed me the big eye. He had like five five of these big eyes in the live well. And he said, we're going we're gonna to tease them in. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm game. Let's do it, man. Yeah. And so we went out there, we're trolling it and that rooster just showed up in the wake jet wash of the boat and ate that fly ate that that big eye not the fly ate the big eye on the trolling rod before we could rip it out of there or anything i mean he was on it and even at that i reeled that thing in ted was in the boat with me last year on that day and i was telling myself a few times i mean i don't know that i'd even want to fight this thing it'd be miserable fighting him on a 14 weight yeah it was a brutal pulling battle and that thing was like 70 pounds yeah and we it coincidentally we got one uh almost that big the same day that was d- day last day last year yep and we got one but our point here is on a lot of the rooster fish that you'll see get caught more frequently i personally have never landed a rooster fish yep we got the one on conventional tackle trying to tease them in and the things are just voracious they're like a flipping ver- velociraptor man I mean, they just run that bait down and eat it before you even have a chance to take it away. They're so aggressive. They're a cool fish. But legitimate 60- and 70-pound rooster fish, but you don't see the fly guys land those very often. But we do have an opportunity for those extremely large rooster fish. And But albeit we don't target them a lot because the frequency of them is not no, generally... And normally, normally, it sounds to me like, I mean, and, you know... The climate is changing globally. There's no two ways about it. I mean, these fishing guides down here talking about it. Pam, who we you know run everything through down here, is talking about it. And normally, I mean, in years past, this week right now is their prime week for Dorado. It and and we would be catching Dorado like we did yesterday, within sight of the hotel where we're at right here, within sight of the marina. We would be catching Dorado in years past. And then, you know, when we came down here three years ago, we had great fishing. Every day we caught Dorado. Mm-hmm. We saw him. We caught him. It, you know, sardines were here. The Dorado that we were catching that year, they were saying was really weird because they were all small, they thought, which, I mean, those fish were awesome fish. Fine with me. It Bring them on. It. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, now they're saying, then last year when we came down here, it, uh, we got no bait on any days last year. There were no sardines in, in the Sea of Cortez within striking distance of Loretto here. There were no sardines to be had. So we would go out, no bait, and for whatever reason last year there were a lot more rooster fish around than normal. And, you know, I think that the impression I get kind of is rooster fish are here early. They're here before the Dorado when the water tips are cold. Mm-hmm. And then when water temps start to warm up, that sargasso, the seagrass starts to grow, that's when the Dorado move in here. Yeah. And then the rooster fish migrate out. They're following that cold thermal at that point. And, you know, for so for whatever reason, last year we did see a lot of rooster fish here. 
this year we saw quite a few rooster fish here. And yeah, day one we we had some really good opportunities at rooster fish, and uh, they just kind of vaporized. And we'll talk about bait later in the podcast and the importance of work communicating. So we got it. Yeah, we got to get back to your original question. Yeah, about so here right now, big rooster fish, twelve weight. So yeah, without a doubt, yeah, Bonita. There's there's other species, but we're looking at Dorado. Our target species, Bonita, is let's go have some fun because there's a school of Bonita crashing bait. They're awesome. They're four to ten pounds. They fight like trucks. Rooster fish, you have the potential of hooking seventy pound rooster fish. Yep, they're very large. They're, there's je- there's definitely not a lot of them in the, the particular destination we're at today. Uh, not like some of the beaches in other areas, uh, but the rooster fish are uh, somewhat less quantity, bigger on the quality. But a twelve. Yeah, weight. and I mean, I think we're just here at the wrong time for rooster fish. Wrong time of the year. Both Dorado and rooster fish typically don't overlap. Yeah, so so our week is generally targeting Dorado, but uh, our quiver is kind of shifted upside Regardless, down. Regardless, yes. At, yeah. As far as I'm concerned anymore, I would I would leave the eight weight at home. Maybe throw one in for a backup, but I would leave the eight weight at home. I would focus on tens and twelves. No function for the eight weight here. So I fished a ten weight, a, a tough saltwater ten weight all week. I was kind of field testing uh, a rod that Reddington Predator ten weight. Uh, you used the Reddington Predator 12 weight all week, and part of the reason we went with those kind of, I hate to say the term budget, but because they're not really a budget rod. I mean, they're, they're still 300 bucks, and they're a fantastic product. But in the saltwater game, they're, in a, with let's just say, an affordable rod. And we had either rented or loaned out all of our high-end stuff, which yep. I'm always going to advocate the purchase of high-end rods and reels. I've done enough fishing. I've seen a lot of rods fail. I've seen a lot of reels fail. So I'm always going to encourage... Yeah, our philosophy is buy it right, buy it once. Yes, but we, regardless, we had to buy extra rods because we sent our 12 weights to Costa Rica with a friend of ours. And, uh, right. So the uh, <laughs> it's funny, the outfitters wound up with the kind of the, the basic uh, gear set because uh, we needed the money, basically, <laughs> more or less. So we rented out our high-end gear. But and, that uh, being said, I mean, I will also say, you look at a trip like this, and I mean... You know these pangas, they're great. They're great boats. They're they're well equipped to go out fishing for the day with four guys in them. But they're not well equipped for storing. If four guys go out in one of these boats and they each bring two fly rods and you're trying to fish four guys at once, all everyone casting over the top and and juggling lines in between when you're hooking fish, and you've got four rods stored somewhere in that boat, those rods are taking a beating. I mean, there's not out-of-the-way, nice, convenient rod storage. No, it's a pain so in the neck. you want to bring a stick with you on these trips that you feel like you can beat it up and, and you're not going to sweat it and lose any sleep over it. And that Redding Predator, I mean, it, it was a tough, tough rod. I have yet to see one break. Yep, yeah. I haven't either. And I'm telling you, I, I hammered some of those fish yesterday. I put it to them. I was like, okay, I'm not letting this thing go down. The last one did, and I'm not <laughs> letting this one do it. And, and so I drew the line in the sand, and I won the battle. Uh, yeah, so we, we wound up fishing those, um, and I was really, really happy. I uh, So as far as rod selection goes, we want you to be outfitted correctly because um, people are going to, when you weigh out the price of a trip, you definitely want to allot some budget for gear. The night, 
the nice thing about investing in gear or good gear is you own it. You know, that's an asset that you get to use for the rest of your days. But uh, I fished a 10 weight all week. Steve fished a 12. I would definitely prefer to fish a number 12, um, but I really wanted to use that 10 weight predator. Um, I've been really wanting to, to put that thing through the ringer, and oh my God, did I. I mean, I landed north of 30 Dorado yesterday. Yep. And I'm telling you, the first few I let run pretty good and played them out a little bit. But after a while, you kind of figure out, like, okay, what are the limits of my gear? And how hard can I put it to this rod? Yep. And we'll talk about fighting fish here in just a moment. But back to I want to stay on task with the gear selection thing. 12-weight would be my number one pick. You could get away with a 10-weight, but if you have good fishing, I would probably anticipate losing one out of every two guys is going to break a 10 weight. I, I just see that I coming. I broke one this week, and it had nothing to do with fighting fish. It was sitting in the boat out of the way, what I thought was out of the way. And as we were casting, someone wrapped their fly around the tip of it, which, you know, when you're taking a double-haul crank with a sinking line, it, you've got some line speed going, so the weight of that fly just snapped the tip of it right off. Yes, we had... How many other rods broke? Uh, two others? At least two others, because uh, Mark broke his 10-weight. Yeah, uh, 10-weight motive. And, and what was he fighting, a tuna? Yeah, yep. fighting a, a yellow fin tuna. Yeah, he, fighting yes, yellow fin tuna. It, about a 20-pounder. We ate that thing. <laughs> yeah, we did eat that thing. <laughs> so he broke that rod in the butt section. And then Justin broke a 12-weight on a Dorado yesterday. 12-weight sage motive. Yes. Yeah. right. I mean, he was... We saw the video of that one. We'll post the video one of these days. It was not a good fighting strategy. Yeah, he was putting it. He was putting it in the net. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know how it goes. That's when most rods are broke. I think is when you're trying to beach them, and they're going to try and turn and make that one last run, and you decide that you're not going to let them do it. And it, you know, at that point, you point as soon as the butt end of that rod pointed at the fish game over yeah he drew a line in the sand and then that dorado just pissed all over it pal i mean as soon as that angle changed to where the butt of the rod was pointed at the fish you can imagine where the rod tip is that is at that point i mean that was it for pal so and then yeah i said justin broke 12 weight uh mark broke a 10 justin broke a 12 yep Mark broke a 10. I fortunately did not break a rod. You had one just get I beat mean, up. and We had one get hit, which is par for I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah, you got hit by friendly fire there. Uh, and then I watched this guy. It was hilarious. So when you get on these schools of Dorado, we'll get more to the details on what it's actually like being out there. But when, the, when one boat hits a hot school of Dorado, the other guides see it from a distance or they hear about it on radio chatter or they see boats converging. And don't think for a second, those guys aren't prideful. They see their guide buddies all racing to a certain area on it's the sea. It's game on. It's game on. You get in there and you get your licks in. So there were several boats on the school, these schools of Dorado. And it, at several times, like I, there were three anglers and a lot of the other boats around me, all fly fishermen. And they had three fish on at a time. And I watched this guy. He was chatting with me while he was across. And he was a very experienced fisherman. And that line in the sand, I think he was, he was an older guy. And I think he was kind of he showing was us. Trying to put on a show. He, he was trying to put on. He was Hollywood in a little bit, and you know, us young pups are in the boat across, and he's showing us how, showing us how to land him, and then crack, he broke what looked like about you know, it was at least a ten weight, probably a twelve weight. Oh yeah. And he broke that thing right at the net, and it, so 
you're going to break, one out of every two guys is going to break a rod on one of these trips. It's critical that you come down here either with a well-equipped travel host. So this kind of a plug, you know, to consider hosted travel if you're going to do one of these trips. But you need a backup rod. I personally would love to travel with two backup rods, even if they're not ideal. Um, be it, you know, my eight weight would be my, if I was, you know, I had to exhaust all resources. I would fish my 12 all the time. I'd have my 10 as my backup. And then I would have my eight weight as like my super duper, like I'm in trouble. I need to yeah, break. Yeah, and the one thing about it, I mean, you you experienced the first, this was, we fished four days just now. You experienced the first three days with us. It, they were, it was tough fishing. I mean, bottom line is, it, it was big swells. We weren't seeing diddly out there because, I mean, even if the fish were blowing up when the swells are like that, it's hard to see what's going on. I mean, there's white cap waves busting all over. You don't notice a little splash. But, it, you know, on those days, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate anymore of just telling people, you know what, fish the way that you want to fish. Because when that's going on, what the guides are going to say is the best way to, to fish is to go trolling. They're, they're going to say, you want to catch fish today? We probably just need to put some line out and troll. And it's like, you know, some people, that's fine with them. They want to catch fish and potentially a big fish. You, if you're trolling out there, I mean, in the Sea of Cortez out here, we've seen marlin the last few days. We've seen sailfish. It, you don't know if a big rooster is going to bite that fly if you're trolling. You don't know if sailfish is going to eat it. You don't know if a, a dorado is going to eat it or a... You know, Mark caught a 20-pound yellowfin tuna, which that thing is a brute of a fight. I mean, they're they're not fun to fight. They're nasty. Weight especially. Those but things. the thing is, I mean, that eight-weight rod, it on days like that, it, what they're probably going to do, if you want to fly cast and you say, we want to go fly casting, they're going to pull you in towards the shore where you can see shallow rocks, and you're going to be thrown in. And that's where you should probably bring some bonefish flies and 15- or 20-pound tippet. And if that's what you your game is, is I don't want to troll, I want to do it, you know, casting and and whatnot, then you're going to go into the rocks and you're going to throw and you might catch sea bass, trigger fish, rock fish of all kinds. I mean, whatever it is, that's probably the best game for it. And eight weight is appropriate for that, I would probably say. Yeah, that's, that's a the good... the only thing that's appropriate. That's a good point, Steve, because on our second trip here, uh, we did use lighter flies and lighter gear yeah, and we caught... A lot of small sea bass and trigger fish to keep, I mean, ourselves entertained. Uh, just to, yeah, hook some fish. We caught those trumpet fish. We caught needlefish. Yeah, I mean, this podcast, we could really make like four podcasts out of this just talking about species. But yep. uh, as far as rod selection goes, you know, we've both flipped our opinion upside down. You want to bring a 12 weight down here. Yeah. And 12 weight should be your utility rod here. And this is one, you know... Even a four-pound Bonita, I'm telling you, you don't feel overgunned on a 12-weight. When that thing dives and it's deep and those fish, you know the shape of them. They know how to use it. it I mean, a 12-weight is the right tool in the in the box for that one. No, I have to say, remember, uh, first year we came down, we uh, we had some success on sharks, too. Oh. So those sharks... Mako sharks. Yeah, those <laughs> sharks would take our Bonita, and then finally... Finally, I was like, I've had about enough of this. I put on hundred pound, uh, hundred pound leader and grabbed my twelve weight, and uh, I was like, you know, this next shark, I'm gonna go ahead and 
let them have it. We're going to teach that shark a lesson. Yeah, we're going to teach that shark a lesson. So I ended up, it took a while, but um, it was everything that 12-weight had, but I ended up bringing that shark up alongside the boat. That thing was like a seven-footer. The guide wasn't super stoked about the idea of bringing it in the boat, which if the guide's not excited to bring the shark in the boat, you know it's a pretty good-sized shark. But there's there's a lot, there's so many species down here, but you're fishing 12-weights, and then fly line selection uh, is a big one in saltwater in general. So we fish a bunch of different saltwater trips, and it's funny, you and I, like anybody else, I mean, we've got kids and jobs and everything else, and these trips are fun, but we often scramble a little bit to make decisions on lines like everyone. And a couple days before the trip, I was swapping lines around trying to make decisions on what lines we want because our number one rod, we want our best line. And over time, I would say our lines have gotten faster sinking. Sinking lines, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and what those give you is just simply the flexibility. If you don't want your fly down, I mean, we're fishing sardine patterns, so they're they're tan or white with some blue or or green in them basically you can see that fly the whole time mm-hmm. even when i mean this sea of cortez this water is so crystal clear here that that fly could probably be 30 feet deep and we'd still see it so the thing about it is if you don't want it that deep you have the flexibility to the second it hits the water start ripping it as fast as you can it but there's always, and that first year that we were down here, we experienced it with the Bonita. I mean, those Bonita were blowing up. They were on the surface in the morning, and we were pounding them on floating lines and, and damp flies, call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't matter. It, you put it out there and started stripping, and you were getting them. And then in the same day, we went back around, and you'd see, we weren't seeing fish boiling on the water anymore. What we were seeing is flashing way down deep. Yeah. And that's what we'd start throwing with. And it, it we weren't catching fish until you cast out there with a sinking line. You gave it about a 15 count and started stripping, and that's when we were getting. Yeah. So the sinking line concept, I mean, that gives you that flexibility, and that's what's important with it. The other thing that people, you know, in spay casting, it's gotten a lot of, of notice lately. I'd say people are starting to pay attention to it and understand it. And that's just the ability when these when we're fishing in chaff out here and you're fishing a floating line, your line is getting a lot of drift just yeah. because it's riding on the surface. Whereas even if you're just putting clear intermediate line on, just to where it gets under that surface tension, yeah. All of a sudden now you're fishing a tight line from your rod tip to your fly to where you can feel everything with it. Well, bait does not, uh, a sardine does not go up with the wave. Doesn't, doesn't go it doesn't up with float it. with the wave. He stays under the, the, the crest or well, whatever the dip of the wave is. So I think it's critical that, yes, you get under that surface, you know, water chemistry, whatever it is. I mean, yeah. it, I mean it's hard. When you're fishing a floating line out here in Big Chop, it's hard getting a feel. You're stripping line pretty fast. And you still feel like you're not tight to your fly. Whereas as soon as you put an intermediate line on just to where it's a couple inches below the surface, all of a sudden now you're stripping and all of a sudden you feel the weight of the fly and you go, okay, now I've got it. I mean, if something were to touch that fly right now, I know it. Yep. And I just know that it's not getting, you know, bounced around unnaturally by that that surface. Yeah, we did a lot of trial and error. You know, we came down just on a whim. You know, we spontaneously decided, hey, we're going to fish Baja 
We, we did a little bit yeah. of research and we it, read you know, a couple of articles. The bottom line on this trip, it, why we came, why we chose Baja, I think is, is it's as much for the fishing. I mean, this is blue water fishing and I've, I'd seen some really cool stuff about Dorado fishing. I mean, they are a great game fish. Dorado are an amazing game fish. But more importantly than that, I mean, we go on a lot of fishing trips and we feel guilty. I mean, we're packing stuff up the night before and or the week before a lot of times is mostly the case. Enjoying packing up, I should say, which our wives pick up on that. And we know, okay, we're leaving for a week and they're going to be here dealing with, with all the, you know, school kids schedules all that stuff and we're gone for a week yeah. and we're trying not to act like we're enjoying it and so we were really looking hard for a place where we could bring our wives along and we still get to have a fishing trip out of it but they get to have a vacation out of it too yeah we're really doing it for them yes yeah, yeah definitely doing it for them yep and and we it is important that they're smiling i mean right now we're leaving in an hour and they're down there at the pool right now. I see them right now. They're on lounge chairs. It, they're tanning. They're getting in their last bit. It, one gal in the group wanted to finish her book. And she says she's not leaving Loretto until she gets to finish her book. So she's reading reading very aggressively <laughs> right now. Looks it. like she's drinking her margarita. But I mean, that's the thing. is We get to come down here and have a fishing trip. And our, we get to bring our wives with us. And they get to have a vacation. Yeah, no, it's There's all it's all good. We don't really do it. we don't really do it for them though. I love fishing. No, me too. It, but but we do do it for them. But there's not many places in the world. I mean, how many places have we looked at to try and make this happen? And it, it we just hadn't been able to. Well, I'm sure it's hell not taking her to Christmas Island. No, and or, I or mean Ascension Bay. And I mean we that in a permit fishing in Ascension Bay, but at Punta Allen, it just isn't the it isn't the same ambiance as where we're sitting right here right now. Now that fishing we had yesterday is spectacular. So we're fishing, you know, as more we've done this, we're fishing faster sinking lines. We found that real Leviathan with the 26-foot tip gets the most bites. Just straight up, plain and simple, side-by-side side against intermediate. 350 green is probably the, a good overall. 300, even the 500, it's not bad, though. I was throwing a 550 on, I mean, this is not for everybody, okay? It's a giant catapult. I was throwing a 550 on that Predator 10 weight, which is normally reserved for 12 weight rod. Yep, yep. And I I actually felt that, dude, I shot a video this morning. I can cast that thing left-handed, right-handed. It doesn't matter. It just slows the action. You can throw that 500 grain line. One, you're on the you're on a boat, so you're elevated. It's very different than like giant trevally fishing in Christmas Island, where you're wading thigh deep. Yep. Rods are easy to cast heavy sink tips off of a boat. Heavy yep. rods, twelve yep. weights are easier to cast off a boat because you can aerialize the line in the fly. But uh, I think anything from three fifty to five fifty and those grain weights, it's not quite like the spay thing where you have to have the exact line. Nope. If you have a three fifty. It just loads up better with all 30 feet of head out or whatever it is. It's 26-foot tip, and then the head length is X amount. And those 350 or 400-grain lines, they're going to be better generally for a little bit more distance and distance control. The 550 is going to sink faster, and it's going to be a giant slingshot. You can look at our website. Giant slingshot. 
Yeah, you could look at our website at the Real Leviathan product, and you can get a really good assessment of which line is going to make sense for your fishery. But uh, the 350 sinks a little bit slower, I think, six inches per second. Yep. And the 550 sinks at eight to nine, which is ungodly fast. It's um, fast, but like I said, I mean, as soon as it lands, you know, these flies, a lot of them that we're fishing are pretty buoyant. Yep. As soon as it lands, if you want it, if they're there on the surface right now, start stripping. Yeah, so we, we so like to... Talk a little bit about stripping speed, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Steve's got to take a leak, so I'll talk a little bit about stripping speed. So with the Dorado, we'll talk mostly about Dorado because we could do eight podcasts on the eight different species we probably caught here. Uh, but with stripping speed with Dorado, generally I'm stripping at not if – if as fast as I could go was a 10 out of 10, I'm stripping at about a 7 or 8. And more important than the stripping speed seems to be uh, when those fish are in a couple of different scenarios, either you're going to see them migrating, you know, or or cruising out around the boat somewhere. I found the further away from the group of Dorado that I cast the fly, the better I am. So some species you want to basically club them on the head with it. They just react, bite it. But with Dorado, if they target that thing from 30 or 40 feet away and they see it in a distance, They'll actually identify it, and the pursuit begins. And once that pursuit begins, the lead fish often isn't going to be the one that actually eats the fly. They're going to get into a competitive environment, and one of those those fish that's number three or four back that maybe even can't see the fly as well is going to see that first one going for it, and he's going to speed up and outcompete that one in the front. And he will eat it as violently as any fish ever eats a fly and it's going to be during a hard strip they will not eat it on a stop or a pause so for the by god do not stop stripping it's very tempting because with trout and bass and other species oftentimes people bite. think that there's that that you can actually strip too fast sometimes and with these saltwater fish, that is never, ever the case. It's hard. I, I described it in, in your uh, absence there. If, if as fast as I could go, full spaz mode, okay, full spaz, out of control, would be a 10 out of 10. I strip it about a 7.5 to 8, I'd say, for Dorado. I found when I stripped as fast as I possibly could, I didn't get quite as many bites. And we had, what, 50 takes a piece yesterday? probably i mean it was yeah <laughs> insane yeah let's put it this way there were uh, i mean and that's the thing with dorado it what's hard what was hard for me to comprehend is you know even three years ago when we were down here we caught a lot of dorado on several days and the thing that's hard for me to fathom is how many fish there actually were yesterday in those pods because we get down here that year that we were here the first year We'd pull into a, you know, we found a dead pelican floating. We found a dead dolphin floating. And we'd see, like, three to five Dorado around us. We'd catch all three or all five of them. Yeah. It, I mean, we literally would catch every one of those Dorado. Dorado love floating structure. It, they love the floating structure. And where yesterday where we got into, there was some huge, you know, probably 12-foot across patches of seagrass. That was the, the epicenter of of these pods that we were on and there were easy I mean thousands of Dorado in these pods. Yeah. It was not a pod of twelve trout sipping blooms 
where you felt like you had to be, you know, careful about what you were doing. I mean, they just kept on coming. It, they kept coming and coming. And the thing about them is, is the more activity there is, so you get a fish on that's going crazy, jumping and running, and you know, your line is going one direction, and all of a sudden the fish jumps. 50 feet to the right where your line's going, you're going, oh, there's one blowing up over there, and then all of a sudden your line starts cutting. That's your fish. Yeah, they're so fast, they will jump, your line will be going in at one direction, oh, and yeah. then the fish is jumping at a 90 degree angle the other way because the line can't even cut through the water fast no, enough to keep it, up with that the fish. Which is just spectacular. I mean, it's spectacular. So, stripping speed is going to be rod tip down. I tried some two-handed stripping yesterday. I just don't have the control uh, with my two-handed stripping and transitioning the line out of my hands. I strip one-handed. Yep. You, yep. you strip one-handed? Yeah, one-handed. I mean, it, you've got to be able, as soon as you need to go from you know the stripping mode to the elevated rod and fighting fish mode, mm -hmm. it, you need to be able to make that transition smoothly. And, yeah, two-handed stripping, I mean, I'm not a fan of it. I'm just, yeah, I, I've tried it, and I, I hooked one, I think, yesterday, it, finally I mean, doing be, it. And let's be realistic about it. it when they're in a frenzy like that, it it don't, does, there's no right or wrong. Dude, it doesn't matter. Eat it. So, back to, so somebody's going to come down here and either improve the Dorado game or first trip. So, we get on Dorado, okay? Yep. Boat rolls up. Yep. It's maybe a patch of floating grass. Boat rolls in. Guy's got his 12-weight rod, his real Leviathan line. He listened to our podcast. He's got the gear. Throws it in. Strips on a scale of 8 out of 10 with the rod tip down low. His strip. He's going to strip set the fish. Yep. Okay, that's Probably his, strip that's set, his yeah. plan. Reason for strip setting is because it, if you a lot of times you miss saltwater fish. Either they have the tail to fly or their mouth is still open or whatever. And if you strip set it, you just move the fly forward 8 inches. And that fly is still in that fish's window. It's going to accelerate and eat it again. Yep. Whereas if you lift your rod tip it and take it away from that fish, it's gone. You're going to, you potentially are going to break it off. Fishes, if the fish got it in its mouth and is turning to go the other way, you're going to cracker it off. But otherwise, if the fish didn't get the fly and you go to lift your rod tip on the hook set, your fly is now out of the water, back up in the air. And you just blew your shot at that fish. It's embarrassing. Strip set. Yes. Strip it's set. straight up embarrassing when I lift my rod tip and fling yeah, the fly out of the water. It is what it is. Uh, I'm not pouting. I got a bunch of Dorado, but it is embarrassing. I don't like doing that. And I do it once in a while once I thought, I, I, you know, I think I've got them hooked up. But I'm, I'm pretty cool. I generally uh, strip set until I have an outright straight tug of war with the fish. And then, you know, the fuse is lit and i got to worry about getting my line, you know, out. Mark that I was fishing with yesterday literally burned a hole in his glove. He was wearing a leather glove, and he had line burns so severe they burnt a hole in his glove and then burnt a hole in his finger protector, the buff finger protector that he's got on his line hand. Did you see that carnage? Like, yeah. he burnt holes in both so of those. I was fishing with Larry yesterday, and, you know, we had a slow morning. And we were looking hard for Dorado. We kept going out. We kept going out. We knew they were out there because the day before, some of the guides who were out had a favorable report. And the weather had changed. I mean, we knew they were there. We kept going. We kept going. All of a sudden, when it happened, it was right now. And Larry didn't put his, his gloves on. 
and Larry, come to find out, had gel spun backing on that reel. <laughs> I swear, for five or six fish in a row, it was all I was hearing was Larry going, "Oh goddamn! Ouch! Ouch! Man, I need to get my gloves on! Ouch! Ouch!" And and then pretty soon, you know, he he land that fish after a battle, and it. He just couldn't bring himself to take time out to put Dude. his gloves on. I mean, the, the, the frenzy was on. He made oh. another cast, he hooked another fish, and then it was all started over again. Ow, ow, God dang it, I need to get these gloves on. Man, ooh, that hurts. And I looked at his hands afterwards, and you talk about carnage. <laughs> yeah, he gel got... Gel spun? Dude, Larry got cut up. I saw his hands at cocktail hour last night. gel spun going over your fingers. Just wrecked his hands. Ooh. Yeah. So Mark, you know, Mark burned a hole in both of his. I, uh, I, I feel like I probably caught enough fish that I was more conscientious of not line burns. But no, actually, I got a caught around my wrist one time. I how hell I don't know. I got caught. It was mayhem. I like I got some video clips of it. It was absolutely mayhem. But you're gonna you're gonna strip strike the fish. So hook setting wise, strip until you can strip strike. Get an all out tug of war. If you're right-handed, you're going to want to get your left hand clear and feed the line out. Dorado tend to run 180 degrees away from where they were traveling when they ate the flies, so they don't generally run under the boat immediately. I never had right. one run no, under the boat. Not until usually a little later in the fight. If they decide they're going to go deep, that's when they'll try and do it. Yeah, so uh, you're going to strip strike the fish. You know, Make sure you kind of study up on that. Practice it once or twice or a couple of times you know, in the yard or, or whatever and kind of get yourself in a good mental place uh, for that. Regarding the stripping pace, I want to give folks what I, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Steve, but when I casted saltwater fish, and these are generally uh, predatory species, and I'm going to say Dorado, number one, because that's our topic here, Barracuda, Jack Reval, Giant Trevally, okay? If I see a fish start to follow, and I don't think that fish is going to eat my fly, I don't continue stripping and let him follow all the way to the boat. I take the fly away from the fish, and I pick it up, and I take it away from him, and I either throw it his buddy immediately, who may be in the pack, or I let that fish keep cruising, and I'll throw at him again with a, with a greater lead at that point where I might throw 30 feet in front of him instead of 20 feet in front of him. Because those Dorado, I, I got a few takes right by the boat, but I really felt like once they were within, like, two rod lengths, they wouldn't take. And I've caught tarpon, barracuda, trevally. I've caught a lot of fish. When my leader is literally in my rod. But the Dorado yesterday, I felt like once they followed it and got beyond that terminal point of, you know, proximity to the boat, whatever it is, two rod lengths, 20 feet, I did better if I would take it away from them and throw it back into the school at that point instead of letting it come right to the boat. Yeah, you got to get them. I mean, it, like you touched on earlier, I think the key to getting those Dorado to bite, I mean, the thing is when they're a thousand or more thousands of Dorado out there and they're in a feeding frenzy like that it, I mean you want to get it in front of where the action is at it, you don't want to be fl- casting it at one or two fish that are you know just floating 20 feet below the surface that you can barely see when there's a freaking swirl and, and no, you- turbulence on the water to your left pick it up and put it down in the middle of that Fire it in and get it get it into the right spot. And yes, 
give yourself your best odds. Yeah, you got to go right for the chaos. You but want that competition. You I, want your fly to be the, the focal point of some competitive fish. Yeah, and I don't like them to get too, you know, like, and this is very true, I think, with barracuda and, and some other species that I have other or perhaps more experience with. But if I let them follow all the way to the boat, I can almost guarantee I'm not going to get that fish. Yep. I feel like if I, you know, if I decide, like, no, he's not going to take it, he could, because they're very fast. They can grab your fly no matter how fast you're yep. stripping. Yep. It's still about a tenth of how fast they can attack. And so if I feel like they're not going to take it at that point, I generally take it away from it or reposition and try, you know, a different spot. But, uh, yeah, the Dorado Mayhem was just incredible yesterday. Uh, yeah. F- let's talk, uh, so... Sinking lines, uh, that strip set covered. Uh, what about leader? What were you guys? Uh, what yeah, was your? We were throwing straight forty pounds. Yeah. And yeah, straight forty pounds, probably with the sinking line. Even normally, if I'm fishing a sinking line, I'll go with a shorter leader, just because it is a little bit heavier and harder to turn over. But I mean, with that twenty-six foot Leviathan line, I mean that's really a shooting head. Mm-hmm. And so we were fishing six to eight feet of straight 40-pound yesterday. Yeah. That's what we were running. I mean, these big flies and that line of 12-weight rod, I mean, turning the fly over is not an issue. No, it, it's a really simple leader formula. We ran straight 50, same thing, that Rio yep. Floriflex saltwater, which is awesome leader. A couple of things to note when you buy that stuff, it only comes in, although the, the spools are really big, they're uh, maybe four or five inches in diameter, and that's so that they don't get curly because it's a pretty stiff leader material. Right. Those are only 15 yards. I want everybody who comes to have a couple of spools, probably like a, you know, some 20 for some small game fish if things aren't happening. I ran, you know, six feet of 50. I think by the time all was said and done, I was probably running only about four feet, which came in really handy landing fish by the boat. Oh, yeah. Because I could reel to the end of my fly line and still, even with the rod doubled, I still had enough leverage to get fish either to the guide's hand or in the net. But 40 to 60 pound is good. Those fish have incredible eyesight. I think you'll get more bites if it wasn't chaos. longer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if it wasn't chaos like yesterday, I think sticking with 40 pound, longer leader, if we were fishing twosies, threesies, you know, uh, or even single Dorado, which we've done a couple of times on floating structure. Uh, I think that that would generate more hookups. Yep. Uh, they don't have, Dorado don't have, they have a few teeth, but they're a pretty nice fish to handle. I like, mean, it, yeah, one key thing about Dorado fishing and any of this saltwater stuff down here. I mean, so we get bait in the morning, and getting bait is dang important if you're going out fishing Dude. in the sea i think i think i think you got to have it and i don't care if you tell your guide we'll wait two hours yep. to get bait because what happens is i mean it's not like you're you're needing to put it on your fly you're not you're not doing that and frankly they wouldn't like that they but when you find fish and you want to keep them around the boat and you want to trigger the feeding instinct, what will happen is the guide will start throwing live sardines in the water. And I mean, it, I can only imagine the vibration one sardine puts off. It's incredible. Because yeah. you can see it resonate through the whole ocean. I mean, at that point, yeah. it's there's one sardine swimming out there and it is crazy. The color of those Dorado actually changes. When mm-hmm. there's a live sardine swimming in the area. Yeah. And that's what triggers that 
that competition that we're talking about, the feeding frenzy, when they're going to come up and eat your fly and there's four fish that start racing to do it and one of them decides he's going to be the first one, that's where they lose their mind and say, I'll eat that fly even though it's not real. Is I'm going to beat those other fish to that, to that thing. I'm going to beat those other fish and eat it. And that's what happens. It's incredible. Uh, so, yeah, so just to describe, for, for those that haven't done a Baja trip or understand exactly what we're talking about, what Steve means is, like, we want live sardines for basically live chum. Yes. We, we will find fish without the chum. And in... You know, I, I'm not a you know a huge fan of chumming in, in flats fishing or some other circumstances. But when you're in the, in the Sea of Cortez and you're in a thousand feet of water and you roll up on a grass paddy, you know the Sargosa, Sargasa, Sargasso, Sargasso grass, and there's Dorado there. Well, the boat pulls up. They might elect to just leave or go deep, and then that one sardine hits the water. I mean, they will come from 50 feet, and this is no exaggeration. They can see and feel that couple of sardines that the guide pitches in there from 50 feet away, and they annihilate that live sardine. It is in, it's a beautiful thing to see, actually, because Incredible. it is raw speed and power. And then as soon as you, and you may not catch the fish that actually ate the live chum, you're going to catch a different fish. But now all of a sudden that, that energetic vibe of the attack, the attack instinct comes to life and and it's on from there it and it takes that live sardine being in the water for it to happen i mean last year when we had all those good shots at rooster fish i put my fly in front of a hundred rooster fish last year and not one of them if we would have had sardines i think it would have been game over easy because we got one so so like yeah so the fish can fly we would have got one yeah, these are very special fish. I mean, their perception of what's real and fake is so acute. So, well, well, one way to put it into perspective. So, when you a lot of times when you hook Dorado, it they you know you bring them up from the deeps and they're fighting so hard. Whatever makes them puke up, even a little like four or five pound Dorado, will puke up like five sardines when you get it beside the boat. Five live sardines that it's it had consumed probably in the last few minutes yep and those live sardines come out they're dead but they look perfect in the water i mean they're mm-hmm. a real live sardine that is now out in the open water and it's slowly sinking towards the bottom of the ocean and those other dorado that are out there won't eat them they don't eat dead they stuff dude. Touch them. they they're, don't eat dead stuff they're they too don't eat it they are too proud to scavenge uh so getting bait in the morning. So like that's kind of what happens with with rooster fish or dorado is we're gonna go find the fish first. We don't use the chum to find the fish. You're gonna roll up on a grass paddy. Uh, you might see a school of rooster fish, and they need some kind of inspiration. Go, hey, it's time to eat. And you may not even catch a fish that was chummed, but we're gonna send that vibe into the water. Like, hey, let's party's on. It's a feeding frenzy now. It's okay. This boat is not not a threat because the boat is. Not kid ourselves; they can see the boat, and we need to we need to let them know the boat's presence isn't necessarily a bad thing. But getting bait, like for us this week, was kind of tough. And uh, all the guides are great; they all have great hearts. I love this this culture here in Mexico. Uh, but there are ways you need to either persist with your guide and let them know what's important to you, uh, or maybe it's not important to you. But 
getting bait was a little bit of a challenge the last couple days and we had to last year getting bait was non-existent let's be clear on that I mean, we couldn't, there were no sardines in the Sea of Cortez last year when we Be- were here. Because of oceanic conditions yeah. like a migration yeah. or... I mean, cold water temps, they just hadn't moved in. And, and from what these guides were saying here, they never really did move in last year. It, it was just an off-year period. Now, what we experienced yesterday was, was unbelievable. In any fisherman's book, that was unbelievable. It was an epic, and, epic day. But the thing about it, I mean, they say Dorado are the best game fish that there is. And, I mean, I think a couple of the reasons are, one of them is they're just so freaking aggressive. I mean, when they decide they're going to eat something, they're going to eat it. Second thing is, once you get them hooked, I mean, they run, they jump, they freaking cartwheel, they... They take you deep, they take you around stuff, they try and twist you up. I mean, they try and do everything they can to get you off the hook. But then the third reason is, is you know, you hook a, a big tuna, and it's going to be a 40-minute battle of just he's deep and you're straight pulling. It And that's not that fun. I mean, straight pulling, you're sweating by the end of it, and you're mad. If yeah. they were to tell you that you can cast in there again and get another one of those on your next cast, you might sit down and, and have second thoughts about making that cast. Whereas with Dorado, I mean, you get them, you get all that out of them, you land them, and you get to go back out and get another one. I mean, that's a pretty cool fish to be able to do that with. It, but, so so that being said, I mean, it's kind of a high-stakes game. You want to make sure that you do it right. And having bait on board is part of doing that right, I think. We went yesterday, our guide, so we couldn't buy any sardines. There are a few guys that professionally net sardines in the marina, and they didn't have any. And so our guides yesterday said, we, we, we think the Dorado, today is the right day. Weather is right, conditions are right. The Dorado are here, we need to get bait, so we're going to go try and net some. And we were like, all right, let's do it. And even going out there in the morning, we saw a school of Bonita blowing up, and we stopped. We cast at them for about 10 minutes and just couldn't get them to eat a fly without the bait being in the water. It, we had a couple short strikes, you know, just soft, tick, tick, and, and gone. I mean, we were right on top of them. You could see them in the water. They should have been eating. And, and the guide's like, okay, let's go. And so we went and pulled in off some cliffs. I mean, big, nasty cliffs with rollers breaking against them while the guides threw hand nets. And we waited an hour before we caught enough sardines that we were comfortable with. And that's when we went fishing for Dorado. And then we got it. So, yeah, you, so let's just say a guy's, you know, coming down here. And, and I persisted a couple of mornings uh, about bait because I knew how critical it was because I don't well, want to roll up what on. we dealt with last year with no bait. Yeah, we roll up on a school of rooster fish or Dorado and you have no sardines and the rooster fish decide... I'm in the ocean. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way. It's huge out here, right? A couple of sardines change their mind, and it keeps them in the area, and it sends that you know that predator vibe through the water. Yeah, you and I went out and uh, and we caught bait against those cl- similar cliff wall, not the same cliff wall. And I think it's important for you know an angler coming down here to not you know you don't want to try to you know you can't guide the guide. 
but you need to figure out how to express to the guide that it's it's okay because the guides just want to please and what they're going to think is well there's no bait bait available we better just get out and get fishing and give you know my customer his money's A worth day yep and you got to be patient as the fisherman and just go you know what can we can we go catch bait you know is it possible for us to go get our own because if the if the the the, the sardine fishermen by the marina can't get them it doesn't mean there's a zero available. It means there's zero available here. So you might drive 10 miles like you guys did, go catch some bait, and then you had the most epic day of fishing ever. Or you might wait an hour at the marina while you know the bait are coming in on the tide. So if the tide isn't right right now, you need to wait, and it's going to be right at some point. They're going to catch some sardines. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you might just say, you know what, I don't care if we have to wait for bait. It, it's worth waiting for. We want to make the most. This is high stakes game for me. I've got four days in Baja. I want to have one of those days be great. Yeah, I would wait two or three hours if I had to. Yeah. If if I was given yeah. the option, I would just yeah. chill out, hang out with my buddy or my gal, and chit chat, and you know, help catch bait. I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, is when the bait is tough. It seems like all of that is linked together. When the bait is tough, odds are the fishing's going to be tough anyways. It don't go out there without being prepared and committed. And they charge twenty bucks per bait for the day. Yeah, it, do it. Just do it. Yeah, and and regardless of what bait's available, you know, uh, I went and uh, I drove the boat a little bit one morning, you know, for the guide because he was struggling. We were in this little estuary. We caught a bunch of mullet in the morning, so he couldn't get sardines, so we just went and we caught mullet. Uh, the other day, we bought mackerel out here. You know, it's not always going to be sardines, and then sardines generally are the best because you get more quantity. Depends what you're fishing for. They say those rooster fish like the big eye. Okay, yeah, the big eye, or, or there's, you know, mullet, you know, or larger fish, but yep. you're right, but... It just depends, but the point is, you want to let communicate with your guide. You know, and most of the guides speak okay English, but communicate with your guide that it's important for you to have that advantage when you do get on that school of rooster fish or dorado. You've got that bait. I think it's important to let them know that you're willing to be patient and wait for you know an opportunity to get bait or go catch bait like you and I did a couple of days. We didn't physically catch it, but they threw nets. The guides threw nets off the boat. We trucked around until we catch it and another component of that is trolling i mean if fishing is tough the guide is going to tell you because you're going to ask him okay what's my best opportunity to catch a fish today if you don't have any bait and you don't know where the fish are or you don't you you might have bait but you still don't know where the fish are at it they're going to say how about if we troll if we catch a dorado trolling or we catch a rooster fish trolling there's probably more there now we've got them located. Now we'll spend some time. And, I mean, the reality of it is it comes back to what is your personal goals for it. And if you don't want to troll, then you need to tell the guide that because they want to please. And, and they need instruction to do that and say, you know what, I'm just not into trolling. So if we don't go out here, let's go out here. Let's look for some some a feeding frenzy whatever fish it may be let's go look for a feeding frenzy and if we don't get it let's go into the rock piles i'm happy casting for trigger fish rock bass you know whatever else comes out of the rocks to eat a fly do it and some people i know i mean some people you know we have lots of clients anymore to fish gear and fish bait 
And some of those guys would say, you know what, I would rather go and fish conventional tackle and jig at 300 feet deep with bait than I would troll a fly. I gotta, and, I gotta say, I'm probably in that category. Yeah, of, I think I am too. Yeah. We went and we went and did that very thing one day, and we caught some 20 pound red snapper, 30 pound yellowtail. I mean, it, those are fish that, I mean, as a fisherman, I just like to see those fish. I don't care if I catch it or if someone else in the boat catches it. Yeah. Someone in the boat next to me catch. I just like those are amazing fish. Well, it's a perfect balance because we, you know, we got that enjoyment. I caught a beautiful yellowtail, um, which is, it doesn't look like a bottom fish. I've never even seen a yellowtail. Yeah, I caught a, I had not seen one either. Yeah, and I caught a yellowtail. And uh, Connor caught a sweet sea bass. And uh, I watched Whitney uh, and Kiri catch uh, the gals snapper, in the other boat. They doubled on red snapper. Beautiful red snapper. It, and Which all of that fish came back with us. And we had a dinner that night. So first off, we come back in here, and we have ceviche. Oh. And they prepare ceviche. Well, we're having our post-fishing... <laughs> board you of Angling it, board of angling directors you meeting. You can call it what you want. We, you know, oftentimes shots are... are rounds of shots are exchanged <laughs> for who got the biggest, who got the most, who did this, who did that. The whales, the dolphins, the tortugas. The loggerhead turtle. All of it. And it, uh, you know, the reality of it is it's a pretty neat experience. Be able to come back in and eat your fish, it is pretty neat. Yeah, so I, I got to put myself in that category that I, trolling a fly to me, well, two there's two levels to this. One, trolling a fly uh, during that epic Dorado day, the guide wanted us to troll the fly. When we when we motored back up those scum lines, and we're in the we're in the middle of the ocean, people like this is not like there's no structure or anything that we can see. There are currents, basically there are rivers within the Sea of Cortez of a particular water temperature and debris and bay, and so there are these hidden rivers within the Sea of Cortez, and we have to locate where on those rivers those Dorado are. So the guide wanted us to troll until we hooked a fish, and yep. then that helped us relocate. And then you could either blind cast and hook fish, or he would throw bait, and then the fish would just blow up out of nowhere. And because we were around those other boats, it made it a little bit easier to find those fish because we saw the other if boats. If anyone troll. got one, then someone went over there. Yeah, if anyone yeah. got one, which, shoot, dude, all day yesterday, one of the boats had a Dorado on. There was maybe less than one minute the entire day that I could not see a Dorado being hooked. Yeah. It was it was uh, so out of this world that I, I'm still in awe, but... Yeah, trolling can maximize be- your chances. I mean, you want to listen to the input that they have, but if you feel strongly about something, you just need to communicate it to your guides. Because the bottom line is, they are there to work for you, and they'll do whatever you whatever you need to do to have a good day. Yeah, and and, That's no- it. and nobody in our groups gets stink eye because you go conventional tackle fishing one day. No way. We did that with the gals. We had a great time. That was fun. Yeah, it was good. That was a new experience for me. I like that conventional tackle fishing. I liked it. I do, too. I, I don't own any t- conventional tackle other than what my kids bass fish with, but we could see the other boats. We could cheer on our friends. Hey, great job, you know, because we're all fishing over the same reef. 
That part was really fun. That we, part was really fun, but the best part of it was at the end of the day, the table fare that that produced. Oh, the food. I mean, it, oh, my goodness. It was heaven. Dude, I've eaten at least two grand in mahi-mahi in the last 24 Easily. hours, I swear. I'm Easily. about to, I'm a blimp. Yep, easily. Yeah, so we've eaten sea bass, we've eaten yellowtail, mahi-mahi, ceviche, and sashimi it, every yeah. day. Yellowfin tuna, <clears throat> I mean, the thing about it, it's, so that's the, that's the whole basis of this trip. I mean, you want to come down here, this is a great experience to come on a fishing trip where you do feel like you're fishing. But your wife has enough things to do that she's happy. She's not sacrificing anything coming here. Our wives didn't sacrifice anything. No. I mean, they're happy to be here. And it's important. And that's the, the one of the unique things about this trip. We've looked all over the world. Loretto, the Baja, Sea of Cortez. This is legit. It's a good place to come. You need to put yourself in the right state of mind to do it. And it can be a memorable trip for everyone if you do that. Yeah, and just in wrapping up, that that harvest is a really fun part of way, or a very fun way to kind of cap off the trip. We get to break bread with our friends. We get to share the same meals. We get yep. to share the bounty, and you don't have to feel guilty about keeping fish. I mean, it's the Sea of Cortez, right? I mean... It's one of the most bountiful fisheries on earth. Yeah, we Our eat what, we eat what we catch here, but yes, it is. We it, eat what we, we catch. We're, we're out sport fishing. We get to keep a few fish, and we get to eat them within hours. And uh, and, and you get to do it with friends. You know, when you get when you do one of these group trips with us, or whether you do it with a couple of buddies. You know, there's some there's some buddy groups here, some dude groups here. There are some couples here. Whether you do it with some dude friends or some couples or something, being able to share that meal There's together. Some great camaraderie. Yeah, the camaraderie is great. Side camaraderie. <laughs> so, it's good fun. You, uh, if if you need to purchase any of this gear, you're getting ready for a Baja trip. You know, you can you can visit RedsFlyFishing.com to shop online. Uh, you can email Steve or myself directly with questions about planning one of these trips. He's yep. Steve. Email us directly, Steve at RedsFlyShop.com and Joe at RedsFlyShop.com. And it is that easy. Yeah, we would love to hook you up with some gear. We can make referrals to where to go, or you can join uh, one of our trips. So check us out. Uh, be sure to like us uh, on Facebook at our Reds Fly Shop page. Follow us here on Podbean. And invite your friends to like us. All of your, <laughs> all of your friends. Uh, and then uh, follow us on Instagram as well. But we appreciate you listening, and we look forward to helping you out and giving you a great trip uh, in Baja. we got to go catch a flight. Yeah, we got to get on the plane, unfortunately. This Our wives are calling us now. <laughs> that must be really yep. important now. Must be serious. Time to go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Thanks, folks. Two margaritas go. <laughs>